When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The cod piece was all me. <laughs> That's what yeah. they all say, Paul. <laughs> if you could only watch three wrestling matches, what would they be and why? This is what I'm asking some of wrestling's best. In the ring, outside the ring, behind the scenes, or behind a microphone. I'm Tom Campbell. Thank you for joining me once again on Cultaholic Island for another episode of Desert Island Graps. It's Paul London! <laughs> surprise. From off of the wrestling! That's Paul it. London! Hey, pleasure. Welcome. How are we, sir? I'm doing well. You know, I try to circle the calendar on when it's the uh, best weather to come out here. <laughs> and, uh... It is officially never the best weather <laughs> to come to. As, as much as I adore living in Newcastle upon Tyne, there is never the best weather sure. in Newcastle upon Tyne. You are well traveled. Uh, that, is, that is without question. Um, Does that mean I'm old? Um, I know. I think. I think if you're old, you're you're named one of the all-time greats by Vince McMahon. <laughs> That's normally the bellwether, whether you're old or not. Well, if it's a compliment from Vince, and I certainly didn't get it. <laughs> oh well. Yeah. More on that later as well. <laughs> um, for a man that's well-travelled, a uh, question for you: uh, best food in the worst place. And the worst food in the best place. Oh my gosh! Yeah, let's hit him right up inside the head with some Get tough straight questions. Straight amongst it, like as a, as a, you know, you obviously you must have eaten some great food somewhere. Absolutely, I would say the best food that I've had was in Peru, um, just because it, the ceviche there is as fresh as you can find it anywhere. And I, I, you know, I think anytime I go anywhere, I really try to test the local, you know, food, the the culture, the women. Um, <laughs> And uh, ceviche is is phenomenal. I grew up uh, half in Mexico and half in Texas because I'm half Mexican. And so my family's all along the coast in Puerto Vallarta. And my uncle used to make ceviche. And so at the time, that was the best that I'd ever had. But then I went to Peru, and it was just phenomenal. Um, It's just such a a beautiful country. Uh, And so I really love it. Even though I think you said the best food in the worst place. Yeah, I don't know whether you've had an encounter where you've been somewhere beautiful and gone, this asparagus is disgusting. (laughs) Or or, or worse to that effect. Well, surprisingly, you know, I'm, I'm really fond of Carlisle. I spent a lot of time there as well. And there's this Thai food, uh, truck. It's like a Thai food van. And that was actually surprisingly some of the best Thai food I've had. Oh, and wow. I love Carlisle, so I can't. That's still not answering I, your do question. You know what? I, I reckon. I reckon it's a slightly loaded question. I think we've gone best foods <laughs> and best places. I don't want to. I don't want to affect any potential bookings in Carlisle because Carlisle's a cracking place. Oh, it's beautiful. I absolutely, do not want to affect that at all. Uh, but Thai food and and Sarat and um, ceviche. Ceviche. That in, was it. In Sorry. Peru, yeah, no. Uh, and as far as the worst food, um, yeah, go on. I would say there was a time when I was uh, doing these drives from San Antonio up to Philadelphia for Ring of Honor early on. Those were 60-hour round trips. So about 30 hours up and 30 hours back in a weekend. And I was still going to uni at the time. 
and uh, we stopped at a Chinese buffet in Tennessee, and uh, that was everyone got sick. Oh gosh! Yeah. So you you take six guys and they're all sick in a big van, you know, and we're having to stop every few hours just to unload. So it was. Uh, I do not recommend if there's if if to you unload. go unload. Oh, I'm telling you, it's like going to a place where there's no ocean and asking for the seafood. Um, <laughs> you know, if you're in Tennessee and you're looking for Chinese food, uh, you should leave town. So it was horrible. If you've come here for food chat, then unfortunately the food chat ends here. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> we are sending you on a metaphorical desert island. The Love intrepid it. traveler is off to a desert island. Uh, but we are going to burn on to a DVD for you, three of your all-time favorite wrestling matches to watch. Oh, my god! To keep you entertained whilst you are there. Oh, so that's phenomenal. We are going to ask you as we go along for what those three matches are. So what would be your first wrestling match that you would put on the DVD? Um, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I've been hitting the head so many times that dates tend to uh, go by me. But um, something that the first match that truly opened my eyes in terms of saying, like, now this is this is professional wrestling was, uh I guess the series, uh, so I'm kind of cheating by saying one match, but the series between Tiger Mask and Dynamite Kid, Tom Billington. That was the first time I ever truly saw what I believed to be real, even though I knew, I was like, okay, this is pro wrestling and whatnot, but... But those matches and the, the technique, I mean, they're still to this day ahead of its time, you know, to see those matches with uh, Dynamite and, and Tiger Mask. Um, just the speed, the precision, the technique, and the impact they're hitting, you know. I mean, they're flying out, uh, Dynamite's flying out, landing in the guardrails. Um, I mean, it's just, it, I, would, I would recommend that to anyone who's watching pro wrestling to do their history and to really study these matches because they're phenomenal. Um, and we, I mean, we were talking on the train earlier about, you know, um, Kobashi and Masawa, uh, and those were phenomenal as well. But I think, you know, in guys relative to my size, that's something that really hit home with me was, you know, because uh, I think Tom Billington wasn't or isn't that tall. Uh, and I don't know how, how big Sayama was, but um, but just just phenomenal stuff. You know, even just the around the worlds that Tiger Mask would do were so lightning quick. Um, but just the impact that they hit with and, and the believability, you know. So you you really lose yourself in, in any of their matches. Um, and so I'm sitting here kind of embarrassed because I, I should have a specific date. Of no, no, there was, no, there was there was so many of them. <clears throat> and I'm cheating, right? Because now I'm like, okay, you can put like 10 of these matches on a DVD well, and they still count as one. We can, we'll, put, <laughs> well, in that case, our, 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 uh, the customs at Coltaholic Island will we'll pick one at random. Terrific. But if they're all great, then it's I think so. How yeah. old would you have been when you first saw it? Um, I might have been probably 21, so I was probably about a year or two in. 
Describe um, about nineteen. Describe what you were doing when you watched it. So, 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 paint us a picture of where you were when you were sat watching Billington uh, blow your mind. I was naked. Excellent. And I was sitting on my bed. The best wrestling he's observed naked. Yeah, and I, I had some petroleum jelly. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> boy, I'm trying to remember because those I got off of these uh, these relics called VHS tapes. That's it because you because we you know, we haven't got the uh, the you know the we wouldn't have had the network back in our day. <laughs> no. We wouldn't have had that, you know. It would have been it would have been tape trading and all that stuff. Yes. So to come across a match like that from Japan would have would have been very rare and probably quite difficult. Oh yes, yeah, definitely. And uh, you know that was the advantage I think early on. I was very fortunate to be uh, a part of Ring of Honor from its inception. I was actually supposed to be on the very first Ring of Honor show, uh, and then my car blew up. And so I was unable to make that. Is that trip. why you weren't there? Yeah, on the very first one. That's why all the shows from then on, I was on those. But I was supposed to be part of the, the Shawn Michaels school invasion, or you know, however that was painted. But uh, yeah, and so just my connection, you know, they had the the, the backing with RF Video, and so we kind of had, I wouldn't say our pick of the litter, but you know, we got our tapes faster. Yeah, I think than the average Joe, uh, and. Uh, and I think it might have been Rudy Boy Gonzalez who who kind of put the bug in my ear to to check some of these matches out, and um, so I got the I got the tape and I put it in and I must have watched it nine or ten times back to back just watching this over and over again. Of course, you know you're rewinding every five seconds just to make sure you saw what you saw, what you think you saw, and you did, and you're just you're blown away by it. Um, but it was really it was it was just the, the impact that they were hitting with and and the reactions from uh, Dynamite in particular, where it, it, he just looked like man he's got his hands full you know and and to me they were just flawless matches they were just flawless because you know I had grown up uh, with WWF and uh, I, I did watch WCW quite a bit um, but I did gravitate towards WWF more often than not. And that, it was so character-driven back then, you know, um, especially growing up. Uh, I guess this would have been late 90s. But I, I started watching wrestling, uh, I would say, in 92. Okay. Um, I stumbled upon a magazine at the grocery store that was covering the Royal Rumble when Hogan won it. Uh, and that that's what brought me into wrestling originally was magazines it wasn't stumbling upon it on a tv it was watching it uh in pictorial form and so when i saw this glossy uh dried nacho cheese body hogan guy on the <laughs> cover clutching this american flag and um you know i'm no like hyper patriot or anything but i just thought like what is this you know i started flipping the magazine and it had this coverage of the royal rumble and i i i could kind of understand what the match was just in the pictures and seeing how there was a lot of guys and then this next picture there's less guys in the ring and um i think when you're looking at something in still photo form your imagination has to kind of connect the dots and that's really what happened and that's that's what fixated me on wrestling originally was magazines and um you know normally it's someone just stays up late and catches telly you know on the, on the tube or something and uh but no, I you know yeah I love mag magazines also are also of that era of VHS yeah that so. was that, again if it was like <clears throat> you get like monthly publications you'd have to find out 
who won what. You'd have yes. to wait a month. Totally. Like, again, like in our day, that was <laughs> what we had to do. Like the idea of having everything now, quickly now, more things now. Right. It right. was 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 ridiculous. Like I'd love to go back, as I'm sure you would, to tell your younger self, oh by the way, soon you'll have access to everything. Like sure. that. You'd be like, you'd liar. I've got a whole box in my back in my mum and dad's house full of wrestling VHS tapes I'd accumulated over the years. Yeah. That like, now, like not only do I not watch them, that there's actually no value to them anymore, unfortunately. Oh, only sad. Se- with the exception of sentimental. Right, right. The exception of sentimental. But you could always convert them as well, right? If yeah, you wanted but, to. Uh, I know, it loses its it. luster. It's, it's, it's a chew on <laughs> it. The thing with the, the network that I think is that, you know, they I think they add in all their music and everything. I mean, I don't have the network. I never have. And, uh, you know, when I would stay at a friend's house or something that had the network and be like, oh, let's watch some old ECW, but they would put in all the, the their own music. Yeah, you know, it kind of loses that sucks. luster. Yeah. Um, to yeah. Go back to what you said about um, picking up the magazine, and uh, and and the, the, your first insight into wrestling was was highlights of the Royal Rumble in magazine sure. form. So that must would, would that I don't know whether you're you're of this sort of sentimental mindset, Paul. But was there something quite special about being in a Royal Rumble? Yes. Later on down the road. Yeah, that was definitely one of the highlights of my whole time there, and and of my career was being a part of the Royal Rumble because that was you know now there's a new pay per view every month. Um, whereas, you know, when we were back in our day, back in our it was, day. you know, four pay-per-views a year with the exception of like a Tuesday in Texas or something like that, that they would kind of put together just so that Hogan could get his title back, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, but yeah, so I think, you know, when you're, when you're, for me at least, it, it was like if I could, and I had been a part of a SummerSlam also, uh, teaming with Kidman and Ray against the Dudleys in Toronto. Um, and so to be a part of a SummerSlam, but, but. But yeah, the Royal Rumble was in particular the feather in my hat because that was what really caught my attention initially. Um, and you had such a phenomenal exit from a Royal Rumble that well, time. Well, you know, in, in, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. I cringed for you, fella. I was watching live. I was like, <laughs> whoa, Snitsky just broke Paul London. What'd you do that for? It's funny because, you know, I was, I was so pumped for that and I wasn't expecting to eliminate a bunch of people or anybody really will beat a Paul London. <laughs> yeah, yeah. the Undertaker. Well, we had we had yeah, done man. some cruiserweight match. I think that was like a qualifier, and so I won that. And then we were in the you know, so I was in the Rumble, and I was just so happy to be a part of it. And I think you know, my mind started racing with these possibilities and you know, delusions. And so when we get to kind of setting this thing up, and uh, not to break too many fourth walls here. Um, but when it was, you know, like, okay, and you're being el- eliminated by Snitsky, nothing against Gene. I love Gene. He's a pal of mine. Um, but I think I'm, I'm, ex- I'm hoping to get a super kick by Sean or something or, you know, get eliminated. And so um, that kind of came out of, man, I don't know the right word for it, but it, it was like, okay, you want, you want Gene to eliminate me? Well, we're going to make this the best elimination of the match. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, uh, and it just worked out better than I could have expected. So much, in fact, that I had heat for a good month after that because they were under the impression that I had gone into business for myself and tried to steal the show. But that's how I was raised. That's how I was brought in. You know, I was my first real name trainer was Ivan Putsky. Um, My journey kind of took me all over where when I was leaving high school, um, all the universities that I applied to were out out of Texas because Texas was in a bit, of, a bit of a downturn at the time. And so all the universities I applied to, I made sure that they had wrestling schools nearby them because that was my plan. I was like, okay, I'll go to uni and um, go to wrestling school on the side and uh, my parents won't know about it. 
And uh, and I did this big journey, and I ended up in Pittsburgh because uh, I had applied to this school, the House of Hardcore Two, which was Dominic DiNucci and Shane Douglas. They were starting a second House of Hardcore. The original was in New York um, with uh, Taz and uh, boy, his name slips me right now. But um, Chris Cant? No, um, no uh, uh, Chris Chetty? No, it wasn't Chetty. It was an old timer. Um, Johnny Rods, I think. And uh, and so I couldn't get to New York, but so I, I got into this school called Duquesne University. It was the only time I was ever on the dean's list also, and I'll get to that in a second. But So Shane Douglas called me on my home phone. Uh, back in the day, we had these things called answering machines. And uh, he left this day. yeah he left this this message and so long story short I got into the house of hardcore too I got up to Pittsburgh and right at that time Shane had torn his bicep and so all the training was off and so I got up I got into this university to go to training and uh, and it all kind of backfired my face so then I transferred to the University of Memphis because my my understanding was wrestlers just grow out of the ground in Memphis. And that was also a very down point in Memphis wrestling. Uh, it was before MCW had started, which was one of the first territories as far as developmental territories. Um, there was Power Pro Wrestling there. Uh, but I found this guy named Outlaw Don Bass, and he wanted to train me in a trailer park in like a carpeted room with no ring. It sounds wow. very sketchy. Yeah. If you put that on Craigslist today, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. oh, I wouldn't touch that with That's a That's in the pole. intimate encounters section on Craigslist. <laughs> Um, but so I'm training and, you know, he's asking for $3,000 and I thought, you know, this isn't, this isn't really what I signed up for. And so I left. I signed up for a sex dungeon. I did. And you're wrestling I I want some gimp masks, you know, the whole deal. (laughs) So I left and I went back to Austin very deterred and I stumbled upon Ivan Putsky had just opened this wrestling school and I went the very next day and applied. And so that was really how I broke in was through uh, Ivan Putsky. But what he had always taught us was. You know, you go out there and you give the absolute best that you can, regardless of where you're on the card, and it's up to the rest of the card to to pick up their game. And so going back to the Rumble, I mean, that was just kind of my idea was whatever I'm a part of, I have to give every single thing that I possibly can. Um, Well, they looked at it very differently. And so, you know, I got stretchered out. They did replays, you know, and all this stuff. And so when I got to the back, I remember um, Pat Patterson was the one person who was super high on it. And he thought, that was fantastic. That was so good. You know, he's like rubbing my shoulder. And uh, that was amazing, phenomenal. And he's, he's telling, you know, Shane's walking by. He's like, Shane, did you see that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael Cole or uh, Michael Hayes, did you see that? He's like, yeah, it was good. He comes up to me. He says, Michael Hayes says, yeah, it was good. It was a little too good. And he had this pissed off look on his face. And I thought, what the hell am I supposed to do here? You know, like I thought the whole deal was to to help elevate everything. It's weird. That feels like um, it certainly feels like nowadays that is there's there's a mentality a bit more like that. It feels like in in some sides of the company. But there was this point and and you're not the first person to say it where it was a case of don't be good, but don't be too good. Absolutely. Don't be too good. But Absolutely. then it should be like everybody should go, I want to blow your socks off so the next person has to work harder. That's how we all get better in whatever we do. Absolutely. I mean, we should be. You know what I mean? I mean, growing up playing basketball, I didn't stay on the west side where I was you know, surrounded by white kids. I went to the other side and and uh, got my, my teeth kicked in by, you know, all the uh, the street ballers. This is the only way you get better, you know, is to work and compete with guys much better than you. Yeah, they, they uh, expect you to sort of sort of toe the line and, you know, stand to the side and smile. But you did that and you still got told off. Yeah, yeah. You know, what can you do? And the funny thing is, is, like, there were a few times after that later where they wanted me to do that same 
bump from the rumble and I just said no. I mean I, I turned it down because I didn't I didn't want to take anything away from that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because uh, it's no yeah, because you've done it and it's a moment and then and now it's you know day. every January or whatever they they always seem to play that clip or it comes back up again you know yeah. I always hear about it and so that's is a real feather in my cap you know to uh, to at least have some bit of a mark on the Rumble you know you're a part was, of Rumble history yeah. which is which is which is great when you consider it's a match with thirty people in to stand out that much all these years on it's it's it is an absolute thank feather you. In cap. Your second match then for your DVD. Yes, uh, this one is a bit, a lot more common and more cliched. I think uh, I would have to go with Brett and Sean Iron Man for WrestleMania 12 in Anaheim. Sean Michaels, the confident challenger, a maverick who spits in the face of adversity. Bret Hart, a triumph of tenacity, the mighty ring general who stands in defiance of defeat. Tonight. For one illustrious hour in the Iron Man match, we will witness their passion, applaud their heroics, marvel at their gift to enthrall. Two craftsmen engaged in an extraordinary athletic event. Two men bound by the dream. After 60 grueling minutes, one man, exhausted, will have his arm raised high. The quest realized, the challenge overcome. One man, expended, will breathe loneliness. Unwilling to surrender, he will have been stripped of the dream. Growing up, um, it was very difficult for me to translate my love for wrestling in a way that people uh, would understand. I know it's kind of weird to say, but, you know, growing up, you know, I grew up in a house full of attorneys. And so they always thought, why do you want to be a part of something where you're willingly going to get hurt? Why do you want to do this? And and that was always just something that was so difficult for me to understand because, you know, I'm I think, you know, obviously I'm a masochist, um, but uh, Sean and Brett were the only two wrestlers that I could share with my dad that he wouldn't think, you know, that I was going the other way uh, or something of that nature. And it, it, these were like real men, you know, that that wrestled and, and had integrity to them more so Brett, I think, than Sean at the time. Um, but these were guys that that were real pure wrestlers who'd come up uh, in the territories, and for them to go an hour plus, you know, it, again, it was one of those matches that I could just rewind and learn and learn and learn and learn and learn, and it was phenomenal. I mean, you know, they didn't do anything too absolutely crazy, but everything made sense, and uh, and it was just a magical buildup, you know, with the the Sean training montages and the Brett training montages up in Canada, and then Sean down in San Antonio. And I still bust uh, Rudy Boy's balls there because he was he was wearing the Bumblebee tights as one of the throw guys during Sean's training montages. That was him, wasn't it? <laughs> he claims oh. it wasn't, but he's full of crap. Totally was, totally was. But it was it was a time when Shawn Michaels was it was the whole thing. The boy is becoming a man. Absolutely, and that was what made it feel quite unique as a build. Because it was it was Shawn Michaels who had just been this this arrogant, cocky, like immature young man for so long, and, right. and it had been uh, and 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 his life was turning round. He'd met Jose Lothario, and he was starting to blossom into like a grown wrestler, almost like a grown Definitely. man. And uh, and that's and and the thing is, a lot of people. They have mixed emotions about that match. I mean, you're the second person to mention it on this podcast. So oh, man. No, 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 no. It's good. It's good. Uh, it's, but, it's, but the reason is because I think a lot of people feel that for the first Iron Man match, for it to go to a nil-nil draw, it seems like, well, why did you, why did you do an Iron Man match if you weren't going to take full advantage of right. the premise? But it was still, a, you know, 
I think the fact that they didn't score any pins was the greatest twist of them all. Absolutely. Because they were said, hey, you're gonna, it's however many pins in an hour. These guys couldn't pin each other in an hour. They just wrestled they were their that socks good. off. They were that good. They were that you know? good. They just wrestled for ages. Um, a common... There's a common misconception regarding you and Shawn Michaels. Isn't sure, there? yes, there is a huge misconception. That's so, so much, in fact, the misconception uh, is that I trained with Shawn. I was part of his academy, and the truth was is that I couldn't afford Shawn's school. It was thirty nine hundred dollars. Yeah, thirty nine hundred dollars, and I couldn't afford it. Uh, and so once Shawn, from what from what my understanding was, there was a kid in England who was over there training, and had hurt himself. Uh, to the point that I think he might have been paralyzed. I'm not sure. And so there was some insurance issues with that, and Sean quickly closed the school and handed it over to Rudy Boy. That's when I came in. I had originally came in to do a tryout, and Sean was there, uh, but he didn't pay a whole lot of attention to the tryout. It wasn't very good either. Um, (laughs) But that's what got me in with Rudy Boy. And so Rudy Boy said, you know, come on down to the valley. Uh, we'll put you on this weekend if you're able, and, you know, we'll see what we can do with you. And I came down. And the other guy that was supposed to come down with me no-showed, which just kind of helped me even more. And that's really what uh, got me started with Rudy Boy. And so I did an interview years later with when I was at WWE, and they had asked me about that. And I specifically kind of broke it down as I just did. But they ran with the Sean thing and were like, oh, he's one of Sean's trainers or trainees and then this and this and this. Well, years later, when Sean was uh, back with us at WWE, he pulled me into his locker room one time and he said, uh, can you uh, can you straighten something out for me? Because all these people keep saying that I trained you. <laughs> and I was like just so embarrassed, you know what I mean? Because I sit here thinking like, oh, God, he's going to think that I was like running with this thing. And I said, no, no, this is what happened. And I broke it down to him. And he goes, oh, God, thank goodness. Because I kept thinking, God, if I trained this kid, I would have remembered him. But I couldn't remember training this kid. And I was like, no, 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 here's what happened. Here's what happened. And um, and then I think I I kind of felt the need to – gush a little bit and I was like oh, I loved your book even though I didn't quite finish Sean's book because uh, it got very religious and stuff it was weird um, but, uh, but 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 in my eyes uh, Shawn Michaels has always been the perfect professional wrestler uh, I still think he has the greatest punches ever um, he's been able to put a, a great match together with anybody regardless of who he's in the ring with whether he got pissed off or not during that match um, now I know where Brian gets Kendrick gets his temper uh, when he's in the match and things don't go, is don't Brian go. quite grumpy? Uh, that is an understatement. Oh, okay. Brian is, uh, from my, the best of my knowledge, the only WWE talent uh, to have been assigned to go to anger management. Wow. During develop during <laughs> developmental. Grumpy phase. Brian Kendrick is yeah. grumpy. Yeah. So. Did you ever fall afoul of Grumpy Brian Kendrick? Many times. Okay. <clears throat> Many times. We had a match in Australia. This is probably back in 2013, and we were in Perth, and we were wrestling uh, the promoter, which often happens, and uh, and one of his mates in a tag match, and somewhere early in the match, I mean, like the very first minute of the match, we're doing some wrestling, and Brian's on the apron screaming at us, and he's like, "This sucks! This is boring! This is this!" <laughs> and I'm sitting here and like. All my enthusiasm was just draining out of me, and I was just getting so angry. And this is the first minute of the match. <laughs> and um, and then we get to uh, the end of the match, and it was like some screw job where they went up, 
And uh, to try and save face, you know, I get on the microphone. I'm like, we're going to come back and we're going to get you, you know, like one of those kind of baby face. And Brian grabs the microphone out of my hands. He goes, no, we're not. We're never coming back here because these guys suck and we'll never wrestle them again. They're the worst ever. And he's cussing and there's like kids in the crowd. And I'm sitting here just so embarrassed. And then we get to the back. And uh, he comes up to me and he's like, hey, buddy, like, hey, you want to you go outside and, you know, hang out? I'm like, no, like, I don't want to be anywhere near you. And he's like, what are you, what's wrong? And I'm like, are you what kidding? I, I mean, it was like a, a switch just flipped. And um, so we had, you know, we, we didn't ride together when we were up uh, traveling on the road either. You know, I always rode by myself because I never liked being on someone else's clock. Um, and, and Brian's very impatient, uh, as I am, but, um, I would always go out as well and sign for pretty much every fan that wanted an autograph because that's what you would do when you didn't have the, the advantage of social media to hype yourself up, you know, and I didn't have very much TV time. And so that was really my main connection with, with the audience was before and after the shows going out and just meeting them, shaking their hands and talking to them and signing autographs. And that really helped me in a lot of ways, but a lot of guys didn't want to wait two hours after the show had ended to do all that. So it just got to the point where I just started writing by myself. Um, and plus, he always rode with Regal, I think, out of like a respect-type deal. He always drove Regal around and stuff. And so, um, I mean, I love him. He's one of my best friends. He'll always be a brother to me. But we, we definitely butted heads a lot. <laughs> I think when you hang around with somebody that much anyway, Absolutely. it's bound to happen. Yes. Um, in, t- in terms of uh, where you're at with wrestling now, um, I've, I have read that you you were you were backstage at Impact Wrestling yes. recently. You were, you were doing some work with them as a producer? I was, yeah. I did some uh, earlier in the year as well in February in Vegas. They brought me out to do some producer work for them. And then just recently, a few weeks ago, uh, and my gathering was that Lance Storm was in that position, and then he had just kind of abruptly left, and so they're like scrambling, like, "Oh shit! Oh well, Paul's close. Let's you know, let's let's bring him in." And that was cool. I mean, it was it was a neat experience. It wasn't at all of the the wonderful experience that I had had doing the same kind of work at Lucha Underground, which is really where I cut my teeth as a producer um, in the back and stuff, uh, but. It was a good experience. I mean, I was able to kind of get a feel for the impact, uh, you know, climate. Um, and it, it was okay. You know, it wasn't. It, it, I I'm not getting the spark of enthusiasm for it, you in a it, producer's role. Because some people yeah. do. Some people do gravitate towards it afterwards. But for you, is it? Well, no. I not... love. I love the. I love the position. I love doing. I, I am more at the point now in my career where I, I prefer to help than to see what I can do for myself. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think there's much that I need to prove to myself in terms of, of wrestling or accolades. I did more than I ever set out to do originally. I just wanted to get to WWE, you know, because everyone was just like, you can't do it, and you're, you know, you're crazy, and you're small, and you're going to get hurt. And, and it was just constant, no, 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 no. I think my mom and my oldest brother were the only two that were like, yeah, you can do this. Um, and so really getting there was kind of the goal. It wasn't, you know, to get there and be on top and be champion and all this stuff. And so when those things came along, it was just, you know, icing on the cake. Um, and so there, there really isn't anything that I've set out to do that I, that I haven't done. If anything, I've done more than I originally intended. So now um, it, it really is a matter of helping others kind of connect the dots and, and making those light bulbs go off. 
and and it's tough, you know, because I feel like this kind of gruff old timer where it's like you really don't have to do all that stuff. And I'm sitting here remembering myself hearing this from the old timers, you know, saying like, "What are you doing? Like, you don't have to do all this stuff." And it's like, "Are they crazy? Like, <laughs> I got to do everything I can, and now I got to show it all." And you know, that's where I would like to go back and tell myself like, "Hey, you don't have to." kill yourself so much and you don't have to think that you have to fill in all this space um and so as i got older i really embraced the performer aspect of it more and more which was another real um advantage to being at lucha underground was that they were they were very much performance based in a lot of ways yeah and so that was a huge help but but yeah no i i I love the the opportunity to be a producer i love doing uh the work in terms of helping guys make sense of their matches and and really getting value of it out of everything that they do. I think the thing with Impact was that I just didn't, I never got the feeling that they were serious about bringing me on board as like a full-time thing. And so um, this is kind of like a hired gun for the day kind of thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. So um, that was always the the vibe I got from them. And, um, and you know, they, they haven't called or you know, they haven't written. So, I mean, it's... <laughs> Dear Stan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I come back to the impact zone, but you still ain't calling, Michael. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. from wrestling let's yes. talk about tiger man well i'm the king of the jungle they call me the tiger man i'm the king of the jungle they call me the tiger man if you cross my path you take your own life in your hand i love the concept of an alternative reality movie. Yes. And this might be one of my favorites. Yes. Please thank you. please tell us what Tiger Man's all about. Tiger Man is a story that me and uh, my good friend James Campbell, who's a phenomenal director, uh, who I met in Newcastle uh, some odd years ago when I was working with uh, ICW. And um, we, we conceptualized this story of Elvis, you know, 
getting the kind of the revenge uh, for Bruce Lee's death, kind of avenging the death of Bruce Lee. And uh, I grew up as a martial artist. I did martial arts before I ever did wrestling. I was an actor before I ever did wrestling. And um, I have just recently started martial arts up again uh, in the past few months because of Tiger Man. But the, the idea is basically let's um, – Let's really focus on Elvis's karate background and the fact that he was one of the first American black belts ever, actually, in terms of uh, his experience. And some of the guys that he trained with were phenomenal. I mean, uh, just Superfoot Bill Wallace was one of the greatest, is one of the greatest uh, kickboxer martial artists ever. And, um, you know, he, uh, I mean, I don't even know where to start. Elvis's karate is uh, something that, um, Again, I will find myself naked in bed watching. <laughs> uh, but so we we conceptualized this idea, and James wrote this this awesome script uh, that really focuses on on the El- the karate side of Elvis and and of that that time area where you know Elvis had this comeback in about '69 because in the '60s he was making a ton of films more so than he was putting out albums. The albums that he were putting out that he was putting out were usually the soundtracks to these movies that he was making, and he wasn't very happy with a lot of these movies because they were all just really commercial and they weren't very good. So he had this big comeback in about '68, '69, uh, and then as it gets into kind of the '70s. You know, and uh, I think Bruce died early in the 70s, you know, I think. Uh, and so the time kind of matched up and we thought, well, this is uh, this is kind of opportune to do something where, you know, we see this this badass side of Elvis, you know, who who isn't crooning. He isn't going around kissing a bunch of women, even though I'm trying to get that written in the script. <laughs> uh, and uh, and and so let's see what he can do. And Elvis was trying to put out. Uh, they were working on a documentary called The Gladiators, which was focusing on Elvis and the Memphis Mafia and on Elvis's training. Um, and it was this documentary that never saw the light of day because Elvis got sick and eventually passed away, supposedly. Um, There's a guy at the chip shop who swears he's Elvis. I'm telling you, he's out there, man. Don't even get me started on the conspiracies. And um, so the, the the thought was let's let's focus on Elvis's karate and do something obviously fictional um, that really highlights that aspect of his life in like a real fun, badass kind of yeah. way, you know. Because I think, in terms of fiction, you know, I think we kind of just have what Bubba Hotep in terms of stuff that you know maybe happened, maybe <laughs> didn't. Um, the idea of because because when I when I looked into it, the idea of an Elvis Presley karate movie right and then when you said oh we came up with the idea in newcastle genuinely and i say this not in a derogatory way because i love the idea were you in the pub at this point no because like <laughs> like most of my evenings end in a similar with similar conversations <laughs> we, we 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 concept we conceived one night me and my brothers uh, jeff capes the shot putter being a spider-man villain <laughs> and i just wondered <laughs> i just wondered whether you whether that it come from that but if it's it, it, obviously it hasn't it's a well thought out idea we were actually walking around carlisle Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's the voice of James Campbell. That's right. No, don't be sorry. <laughs> voice of James Campbell. We were wandering around Carlisle and just started talking about Elvis, and then we went back to your hotel room watching footage. Yes. And then I left on the train and got back to Newcastle, and I'd said, "Right, leave it with me. I'm going to write something." Absolutely. Wow. 
And then you did it. Yeah, and I, I mean, Elvis referred to himself as Tiger Man. He wore a tiger uh, necklace em, emblem kind of thing, and you know he had learned karate in Germany when he was over there in the army uh, in the fifties, uh, late fifties, early sixties. And so um, he, uh, I mean, he was a badass. He was a badass. If you see some of this stuff on YouTube of him doing karate, I mean, it's it's obviously not going to look like Bruce Lee's martial arts, but nobody was like Bruce, you know. Bruce no, no, he was one, one of the kind. kind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it, it's 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 just so fun. It's so fun to to explore that whole world of what might have been, you know. And uh, so, where so. are we at with the film, and and what can people do to to help bring this to life? They can buy the whole thing. They can they can give us a million dollars. There you go. And uh, we'll have this thing done in a few short months, and they'll they'll never regret it. Um, well, I think part of the part of the function today, which is at the Majestic Theater tonight, um, we're going to try and raise some more funds, and then we're going to start. Right now, we're working on a conceptualized uh, trailer so that we can take that to a couple markets and start selling that as well. Um, we've already got quite a bit of interest uh, from several people uh, back in California. And um, the idea is to create a feature and hopefully kind of build a bit of a franchise with this thing, you know, and just kind of explore it. Um, you know, there have been some slight touches from other projects where they talk about him as a secret agent and things of that nature, you know, because he, he met with Nixon. You know, I don't know if you've heard of that whole thing, but he, he went out of his way to, to, to do a covert kind of operation. He went and met Nixon at the White House and wanted to become a, a secret agent at large because Elvis collected badges. You know, he was a, a police officer in uh, Palm Springs. He was a, a, a police officer in Memphis. He had, like, actual badges. Wow. And so he collected this stuff and was really prideful of that. And his idea was that if he was a secret agent at large, which he kept mentioning at large, even though I don't think that position even existed. Um, his idea was that he could go in, everyone trusted him and everyone loved him, no matter if they were white, black, Asian. And so he, his idea was that he could, he could kind of infiltrate and go undercover and find out where the drugs were coming from that was messing up kids' minds you know, in, in America and kind of twisting their, their minds up a bit. Uh, not that he blamed the Beatles too much <laughs> for that drug culture. That episode should end with a fight with the Beatles. That's that's a hell of an idea. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> four on one. You know, I'm ready for it. So it's the end of you, Elvis. It'd <laughs> <laughs> be amazing. But the the, the the concept then would be obviously Tiger Man would be Elvis the Kung Fu years. Yes. You could do Elvis the Police years. Sure. You could do Elvis the Astronaut years. All the things I say he did. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Other, other, other like jobs that he did sure. as well as being a singer. Absolutely. I love it. I absolutely love it. I mean, it. it definitely makes me look back at honky-tonk matches much differently. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Where I'm like, come on. Like, I want to see a little bit more action. Come on, honky. I'm, I'm making notes here. Yeah. But Because but I, I presume you're, you're playing Elvis. Yes. Of course you are. <laughs> Which is a bit daunting, you know, but I think... Um, if, if we were doing like an actual biopic, um, then it would be a lot more daunting. But in the, in the sense that we're having fun, but also focusing on the karate aspect of it, uh, I'm just ready to kick ass, man. TCB, baby. Incredible. TCB. Incredible. Where so. can people go to find out about Tiger Man? We'll remind them again at the, pod, at the end of the podcast, but let's drop it in here as well. Um, well, they can, uh, they can find it on our social media. Uh, if they look me up, uh, I'm at London Foo, and they can find James Campbell as well on uh, social media. What's your handle again? It's just... Uh, mine's Jump Camp 
That's right, Jam, Jam Cam, Cam 80s. 80s. You just said Yeah. <laughs> Not at all. And we've been hyping it up for the past few months, and so uh, it's only going to get bigger, and we're only going to keep uh, kicking tail, man, taking names. Amazing. We've got one more match for yes. your DVD to get to. Before we get to it, um, as well as taking three wrestling matches onto a DVD, yes. you're allowed to take a movie, an album, and a luxury item. Oh, my God. So I know... Uh, I feel you know, like I'm on a game show. I know, right? <laughs> and a brand new car. Yeah, uh, I need one. <laughs> a speedboat. Um, uh, so in terms of a movie... Wow. One movie that you can watch whilst you're on the desert island if you get bored of watching the wrestling. What movie do you want to watch, Paul? Oh, my gosh. Well, um, it, it, you, you probably won't be able to find it, so I'll, I'll say this film, then I'll do a backup. But uh, there's, a, there's a movie called The Last Movie, and it was done by Dennis Hopper back after Easy Rider, and he was... Uh, kind of out of his mind when he did this film because with the success of Easy Rider, the studio kind of gave him carte blanche and said, here you go, go make something. And he took all this money and went down to Peru and uh, flew in a bunch of his friends and everything. I think this was Chris Christopherson's acting debut as well. Uh, and he did the soundtrack, but this movie is called The Last Movie. And just to give you an idea, the, the edited version, the version that Dennis Hopper wanted to put out was 40 hours long. And the studio thought you are out of your mind. <laughs> what kind? Of, wh how how much is that white snow down in Peru affecting you guys? That's um, half of Lord of the Rings. That's it, it's insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ridiculous. But but when Dennis Hopper lived in Taos, he bought this old movie theater where he would go and edit this picture on his off time, and then he would play uh, movies for kids in the town on weekends and stuff like that. But he, this was his pet project, and it never really saw the light of day. I saw um, about a two-hour version of this film uh, last year at the Egyptian in L.A., and it was awesome. It was awesome. Um, but it's one of those lost gems that just uh, kind of got swept under the rug, and that kind of blackballed him from from Hollywood for a little while because they just thought he's out of his mind because he he's, was so eccentric and... oh absolutely absolutely um, but in terms of uh, films that are attainable um, man that's that's extremely tough because I have a bunch of the ones that I already really relish uh, but in terms of a film that Man, that's a... Uh... Well, what if we go to the cabin in the woods and get you the 40-hour version of The Last Movie? <laughs> I mean, that would just be... I mean, you, you could be on the island for a while. So. I, I'm, I would welcome it. I would welcome <laughs> being on an island anytime. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's, that's just one of those rare gems that, that's just so hard to find. Um, but, you know, in terms of, like, martial arts films, you know, I, I already own King of the Kickboxers. I already own uh, No Treat, No Surrender 2 and 3. You know, these are all gems that, you know, really speak to me as well. Um, maybe a clean version of Charno O'Brien would be okay. a, a nice, you know, a big Cynthia Rothrock fan as well. <laughs> Keith Cook, Ken Norton. Can't nice. go wrong, man. Nice. Um, what about an album then? What about an, an album. album. Wow. Um, man, I own a bunch of those as well. A already. soundtrack to your time on the island. So <laughs> happily listen to. Oh my gosh! Maybe during the interval of the forty hours of the last movie. Um, maybe anything by Camel. There's a band called Camel, an old UK band, okay. old prog rock band that came up around the same time as Pink Floyd, and uh, the the emergence of Pink Floyd kind of oversaw the the brilliance of Camel. Um, 
Snow Goose, the Snow Goose excerpts, I think, is one of their best albums. Okay. Uh, it's, I know I'm throwing some stuff out here. You're just like, what in the hell is he talking about? <laughs> yeah, but Camel is phenomenal. Easily one of the greatest bands to ever come out of the UK. Wow, so, that's a big statement. Yeah. So what, 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 what is it about Camel? That obviously, because they came at the same time as, as so many other prog rock bands, but what is it about Camel that comes through for you? Um, you know, I actually think they do have a song about Gandalf. Actually, the white, oh really? Yeah, I think it's called the White Wizard. Um, uh, it, it, it's one of those songs that you don't need drugs to trip out. It's one of those bands that just it, the psychedelia in their music. Um, it's it, it just really. It takes you to another galaxy. I mean, it really does. It's it has such a cosmic feel to it, and it's wholesome too. It's not you know they're not talking about anything uh, destructive or anything of that you know. But they're just um, I, I mean you literally feel like you're on a on a on a roller coaster listening to this music. Uh, of course, there's a kaleidoscope of colors and all those sorts of stuff. You, it, it's just beautiful. I would recommend it to anybody who's who's needing some great real music that isn't just steeped in uh, samples and auto-tune and all sorts of crap that you could get today, you know what I mean? So, okay. Yeah. And uh, a luxury item. Oh, so this can be anything. Oh this can be something that you can just bring from home that, that would make you feel better. It could be... Um, some people have cheated and, and asked for a satellite mobile phone <laughs> and a boat. But that's <laughs> they've, some people have booked the system like that. Um, I'll give you some examples. Nick Aldis was on this show, and he's taking his Ferrari. Oh, his Jaguar, sorry, his Jaguar. He's taking his car. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Colt Cabana is taking a B-Day. Um, wants a clean arse while he's on the island, which is fair, fair enough. Um, Mike Quackenbush is bringing one of his nice suits. He doesn't know when he'll need it, but he just quite likes looking at it. Yeah. It's a bit like, some of his suits are a bit like a magic eye picture. I'm um, quite impressive. So how about yourself? So what would you, what would you bring? Wow. Um, I would probably... Boy, I would probably have to go with a, a crystal coffin. Um, wow. Yeah, so that I could sleep in it, but still look out and see who's approaching me. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? In case but, it's help. Yeah, it's a real, it's, I think it's a comfortable thing to lay in, you know, but if you had something that was a crystal coffin, I think that's, that's pretty regal. Um, Lying in a crystal coffin listening to Camel. Oh, man. There you go. I mean, can you imagine? Uh, but if you, if you can't find that, then I'll <laughs> then I'll go with a nice uh, a silver uh, necklace, a TCB necklace with the lightning bolt through it. You know that was uh, that was what Elvis handed out to every member of the Memphis Mafia. They all had this oh. emblem TCB for taking care of business, and it had a lightning bolt through it, and uh, that that meant you were in, you were part oh, of the game. Wow, okay. You know what I mean? So. And if you can't find that, <laughs> then I, I would say as close to a replica of Elvis's karate gi, uh, his customized karate gi, um, which was just this very, very fancy white with red. Uh, so this is similar um, to the thing you wore in Lucha Underground. That was inspired. Yeah. Yeah, it was very, very much, much inspired by uh, Elvis and Freddie Mercury uh, and some Mick Jagger in there as well. But uh the cod piece was on me. <laughs> <laughs> That's what yeah. they all say, Paul. <laughs> your final match for your DVD to take onto the island. What uh, are we going with? You know, a lot of people might might be a bit pissed at this um, because they may not agree. And it's extremely uh, current. It's an extremely current match, which I just recently watched. 
now I don't I don't watch so much wrestling anymore, uh, except when I am at someone's house or they're you know checking something out. Um, but there was a match on NXT uh, a few weeks ago between Adam Cole and Matt Riddle, which I thought was absolutely phenomenal. Wow. I thought it was incredible. This is how you kick off a show with the NXT Championship being defended off the jump. And Riddle jumped right into an in-ring career after beginning a combat sports career as a mixed martial artist. This is what it's all about, the most prestigious title in NXT. And immediately, Riddle with the takedown on the champion. It was one of the best matches I think I had seen, I mean, in memory. And I kept saying that. I was like, this is one of the best matches I've seen in so long. And I think um, Adam Cole has that same quality that Sean does where he can have a great match with just about anybody. But I think also Matt Riddle is such a unique talent that anything that he's a part of, is going to have just such a, a, a unique feel to it. You know, I mean, they're just such amazing talents, you know, and I think they're both great guys. Um, but they, their chemistry together was, I don't know why I was surprised, because I know that they're so great, but it was just a joy to watch. And they And when you can hook me with a few of your falsies, when you can hook me and I'm just like, oh, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that... That's what I want. That's what I want in every match that I see. Um, but that match just—I was so happy for those guys. You know what I mean? Because it was just—it um, was just a real joy to watch. So it felt like it was—it it was a special night that night for that that whole brand, all those people. There. Absolutely. How did you come to watch it? Because as you say, you don't really watch wrestling so much anymore. Yeah, How did a buddy that of mine. Sort of fall into your radar? A buddy of mine uh, has. Well, I think that one was on national TV. I think they're on, like, USA yeah, or something right are, now. Yeah. So we caught a replay of it, and uh, and that was really kind of the only match I wanted to see. The, the women's match earlier in the night also was really pretty spectacular as well. Um, I think it was uh, Shayna Can Baszler Candace versus Candice LeRae. Yeah, and I'm really happy for Candice. Uh, I think she's one of the most underrated talents in the world i mean f female wise but just talent wise as well um and uh you know i I'd, I'd spent a lot of time with candace uh earlier i think 2012 around that time um and uh so i got to see how talented she was and so when as she started to emerge and is emerging but when she got signed and everything i was just so happy for her because i think she's just a, she's a great person and um I think she's she still has a ton to show people, and I think she's really going to open some eyes and and inspire girls. You know, I think the way that women's wrestling is now it's at such a peak, and it's still peaking. I mean, it's just going more and more and more. But I think when you take someone like Candice who doesn't sell um, the body aspect of it, you know what I mean? And she's she's a beautiful person, um, but her her ability and her talent is what really stands out. You know, she doesn't have to. Uh, wear skimpy outfits or anything like that, you know, and and I think that that's very healthy for especially for young girls coming up, you know what I mean? Especially when we're in such like a, a body conscious uh, climate now, you know. Um, I mean, when you were in the when you were in WWE, it was still very much the divas division. It's they wanted like, me to get fake tits. I mean, can you imagine? yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it was it was I mean, just you'd so rock them. Don't get me <laughs> <Yeah>. wrong. <laughs> But if you know, it's, you, you do what you do. Um, but it was, it, but it's to, to be in that time when when women wrestling was sort of, and it was kind of like the the toilet break matches, and there was nothing really to right. them. But to go from that to now, where you know it is not out of place 
for the women's championship to go on last. Right. Because it's like, well, you're going to put the best wrestlers on last, the best feud on last, that should go on last. Oh, it's and huge. now it's, it's, it's an incredible time. No, it's huge. I mean, when I was there, we watched the women's matches, uh, you know, just to to see where the where the big mistakes would happen, you know what I mean, and it sucks because they were all really nice girls and stuff, but uh, but it certainly didn't have the platform it does today. You um, know? you you talk about a few people that you've obviously been down the road with uh, in NXT. Is there anybody that you've seen uh, currently wrestling who you would love to wrestle now? Somebody who is maybe on the up and up, and you think I want to mix it up with them? I think we could work some magic together. Oh, there's a ton. I mean, I think uh, Velveteen Dream is. Uh, somebody who just embodies so many different legendary uh, personalities. I mean, he's got, he very much reminds me a lot of, you know, there's a lot of Randy Savage stuff in him. There's a lot of, there's some Rick Rude stuff. Uh, there's some Shawn Michaels stuff in him. I mean, I think Velveteen Dream is somebody who's very unique and has a ton of, uh, I mean, it's just like the sky's the limit for him. You know what I mean? Uh, I've wrestled Roddy a handful of times, Roderick Strong, and I think he's amazing. I would always welcome a match with him anytime. I've never had the chance to wrestle with Adam Cole. Uh, I think that would be great. Um, same with, um, I did a tour with Bobby Fish in Japan uh, for Noah a few years back. Um, I think Kyle O'Reilly is one of the great. I mean, I'm just naming the whole <laughs> the, uh, undisputed era. Basically, trying to get the undisputed era. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey guys, if you're listening, hey, you've named everyone. You know what I mean? uh, but I think yeah, Matt Riddle would be a guy who I would love to work with. Um, you know, because like growing up as a Texan, you know, how could you not love the Von Erichs? You know, and so when I think of like barefoot wrestlers, you know what I mean? I think of like Kevin Von Erich, you know, who was really kind of one of the last guys to really be barefoot throughout his whole career and you think back to the rings of that era and you think like how is he not in a wheelchair Do you know what yeah. i mean but he's living his life up in hawaii and he's having a great time and he's got a beautiful family and uh, his kids are awesome you know what i mean they're great dudes um so matt riddle would be a guy who and, and that whole barefoot thing i mean it's just like i mean i've done shows where you know they let fans in the ring at intermission and whatnot and and to see them even try and get in the ring is is kind of jarring because you're just hoping they don't hurt themselves just stepping into the ring so when you think of somebody doing this barefoot and the things that they're doing barefoot i don't think people grasp how difficult that is like how absolutely difficult that is and how taxing that is in your body um and so uh he's definitely one uh that i think is great uh, I had matches with Tommy End at ICW, who I think is uh, Alistair Black, but yeah. he's not at NXT anymore. No, he's right? not, he's, but, he's, but he, was, he was there. He was one of the lads. I mean, what an awesome guy. Awesome guy, phenomenal talent as well. Um, when, you went through the, when you went through the match with Alistair Black, uh, I, I asked this because I watched uh, the, the Progress documentary where he's talking through his match with, I can't remember who he's talking through his match with, but they're having a match, and he's talking at 100 miles an hour. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah and then you do that, and then you do that, and then I'll do yes. that. Does he do that? Yes. Does he do that with you? Yes. Oh, that's amazing. And then right I was, as you... I was, quite, I was quite taken aback by Right it. as you think that you have a great idea to like come, with, come at him with, 
then he'll you know he'll agree and he'll add on like three times that onto it. <laughs> She's like, oh man, like I just racked my brain trying to like understand what I just came up with, and now he's like tripling that. And it's like, oh yeah, got it, got it. You know, <laughs> and so, uh, but him and uh, him and Dante, you know, when Kendrick and I wrestled them uh, with the Sumerian Death Squad, right? I mean, we we had just, and that was the first time I met Matthew. I think was in Newcastle at that when we worked with them. Uh, at that show and so um, yeah just some of my happiest times in wrestling you know was that whole time working with ICW and touring uh, around with those guys well here's to many more happy times oh you, absolutely so. yeah man I mean it's uh, you know you're only a young man still <laughs> I, I love you man you're, you're, a young you're man such still. a kind gent <laughs> yeah. I only say that because I'm only about a year or two behind you so <laughs> I have to say that for my own mental well-being as yeah. well um, you've been an absolute honor and a privilege to talk oh, to you, Oh, well, thank you. Same um, here. I want this to be your floor. Uh, tell people about Tiger Man again. I want everybody to to, uh, to to go to the right places to get fully behind this incredible film. Absolutely. I mean, if they Google Tiger Man, like James was saying, uh, you know, all the goods will pop up. Uh, we're probably going to uh, put out an, a campaign soon enough again where they can really contribute, and then we can start really heading towards that that feature presentation that we're all really yearning for. And uh, before you know it, man, we'll be kicking and punching right in your TV screen, right on the movie screen, and uh, TCB, baby, TCB. Anything else you wanna you wanna take care of business? Any other, <laughs> any, other, any other plugs? Well, I had a I had a kebab shop last night, so I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm feeling pretty good last night. That's, that's a staple whenever I come over here. Is hit it up you the kebab. A, you went for a kebab, and you had you, did you have a drink last night? No, well? I mean, well, if you count soda, or, uh, so you know what I mean. I uh, I haven't had any drinks yet. I have a feeling that might change tonight. I was going to say, yeah. Uh, but normally a kebab is after drinks, which is that's why. That's true. Normally it's when you go, oh, do you know what? That's all I want to eat now. <laughs> and then you wake up the next day and go, why did I eat that? It's so true. I mean, I spent a lot of time in Preston as well. So going up and down those that bar scene there was, uh, I think I'm still a bit hungover from those times. Um, but uh, no, I mean, we, we're doing, uh, we got some fight rehearsal stuff tomorrow with a really awesome fight team. Uh, coming up from London, uh, Jean-Paul Lee. And uh, so I'm uh, I'm not sure I'll be having too many drinks yeah. tonight. Maybe after the fight. Yeah, I don't want to embarrass myself <laughs> more than I already will with these guys tomorrow uh, and uh, take a few hits to the face. But, hey, that's all part of it, man. It's not that's ballet. A, that's all the fun. <laughs> so it's been look up Tiger Man. Thank you, guys. And, uh, Big you know. handshake to anyone. Oh, man, that's yeah, brother. Like, Put it there, brother. Brother, 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 brother. That's brother, right, brother. yeah. <laughs> 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. 